Amen. Well, hey, I'm going to start off with a story sharing from a guy. Now, pay attention because this is very important. It might save my job, but uh, <laughs> from a guy. And he actually shares, I kid you not, he shares how his mom's drug problem, serious stuff, his mom's drug problem, listen, actually made his life better. Listen to this. He says, my mama drugged me, man. She drugged me big time. She drugged me all the time. My mama drugged me to church services on Sunday and told me, thank you, I can keep my job. Okay. And told me that God was real. And then she drugged me to Wednesday night prayer meeting where she taught me how to kneel. And then she drug me back to Sunday school to be taught to live the life I should. And I never sassed the teacher back because I knew I'd be drugged back in my mama's bedroom, give a switch from a piece of wood. And, and, and mama drugged me to church three times a week. And then she drugged me to Bible school. And, and, and then I was drugged inside and chastised well when I acted like a fool. And, and now I'm all grown up today and I teach to make a living. But I see kids every single day, their drugs, their mama's not given. And I think back to the lesson when I was there and I learned on her knee and I thank God for the drugs that my mama gave to me. Amen. <laughs> I had to hurt him get that out. I was getting pressured there for a minute. But anyway, but how many guys know a few people that could frankly use some more drugs in their life? Those kind of drugs. Thank you, Bobby, for that clarification. Drug to church services, okay? And I'm here to tell you, folks, this drug problem, this need for drugs, those kind of drugs is even bigger than we can imagine. If you're not paying attention, folks, there's a horrible trend that's going on in the church today. More than ever, people are, are turning away from Christianity. They're turning away from the church. They're turning away from studying the Word of God, the Bible. And they are being drugged off, all right, but they're being drugged off in the wrong path. And it's leading to horrible destruction. And now because of this, folks, this is even Christians doing this. We now have churches full of Christians who are acting like practical atheists. Oh, we say we believe in God. Of course, that's the right answer on the test. You've got to at least check that one off. Right? But half the times with our lips and our lives, we're giving people a different impression. We're acting like God's not even there, a practical atheist, okay? And it not only keeps us from going in our walk with God, people are watching us. Have you noticed that? The moment you announce you're a Christian, they're watching you. And folks, if we're not living like Jesus says we need to be living, it's going to steer them away from God, okay? So to avoid that irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists by not knowing who God is, we're going to continue in our study on the character of God. Get back to basics. Who is God? Okay, let's let him define for us who he is and get busy emulating that. Now, we've already seen the first thing we need to know about God. Hello, he is what? He is real. This is not a pipe dream. It's not opiate for the masses. He is real. That's the great news. The second great news is, hello, he is intimate or personal. And he died on the cross, Jesus. Why? To start another man-made, boring, stale religion? Absolutely not. To have an intimate, personal, loving relationship with you and I. Uh, his bride, uh, the Christian. The third thing we need to know about God, hello, he is wise. How many mistakes does God ever make? None. Whoever said that is right. None is the correct answer, Bobby. All right, and so therefore it makes common sense. If you need advice, who do you go to? Not man, okay? Go to God. He will never, ever, ever steer you wrong, but that's just it. You gotta go to him for the answers. And the last four times we saw the fourth thing is, hello, he's what? He is sovereign. Now, once again, let me define for you biblically, what does that term mean, sovereign? Okay, that means all things, listen, all things are under God's rule and control. Listen, nothing happens without his direct permission. Okay, nothing takes him obviously by surprise either. As we've been seeing in that aspect, okay, this not only revolutionizes our walk with God, but it starts to answer some of those skeptical questions we get asked about God right? Especially when it comes to evil and suffering. If God's so wonderful, what about evil and suffering? Remember all that aspect? Okay, then we took it even further, and we took a look at the fourth skeptical question that people ask about God and his sovereignty, and they said, well, wait a second, okay, you keep talking about this suffering, and that God is good, and he works all things to good. All right, give me some specifics. What good can come from suffering? 
And last time, if you recall, before our Bible prophecy little stint there, we saw that just a few of the good wise reasons that God knows what he's doing, even in the hard times, and that was to expose our sin nature. Remember that one? Oh, you think you're so cool as a Christian, you got it going, man. Woo-hoo, you're at the top of the hill. God sees what's going on inside. So you know what he does? He brings some pressure your way. What happens? <laughs> Here comes that flesh, right? And he gets it, and it's an opportunity for us to own up to it, to expose what needs to be taken care of, okay? To keep us from becoming spiritually lazy. That never happens. Yeah, we'll preach on lying next week. But <laughs> are you kidding me? Man, what's some of the best prayers we've ever had? In the hard times. The challenge is when the hard times go away because God's good and loving, amen? Are you going to seek him just as much? Are you going to keep going that deadly cycle like the book of Judges uh, talks about? And then, of course, to cause us to be a blessing to others. This blows me away. Second Corinthians, man, uh, the first chapter there. God comforts us in all our trials. Why? So that we, in turn, can comfort other people with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. He gets so much mileage. He not only uses our hard times for us, he uses it for the benefit of other people. Isn't that amazing? That he is so sovereign and wonderful like that. But that's not all. we got a long ways to go. The fourth wise reason why God uh, is allowing some hard times that I've learned and the Bible talks about is to teach us a very powerful lesson. And I hope you got this one down already because if not, it's coming. And that is this, to teach us, hello, God is God and we are not. You ever have to learn that one? God is God. And that's a challenge today. Because in our self-centered, self, 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 me, 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 myself and I, the unholy trinity generation, we think everything has to go my way. I'm God. I know what's best. And no, you don't. You're not God. Okay? Now, believe it or not, we're not the only ones who need to learn this. Another person in the Bible had a concern as well. His name was John the Baptist. Believe it or not. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. This is awesome. This is awesome. I remember coming across this text as a young Christian go, whoa, John the Baptist? He's cracking? I mean, he's the great John the Baptist. Well, hey, folks, just like you and I, sometimes we can give in to the pressure too. Matthew chapter 11, let's take a look at our context here, verses 1 through 6. Now, this is, again, towards the end of John's ministry. And at the end, and he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was serving God, right? The forerunner of the Messiah. What a privilege. What a ministry. And where's he at? Whoa, whoa. I don't think he saw that one on the, the list there. Okay, but that's where he was. Okay, Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Let's take a look at that passage. Now, after Jesus had finished uh, instructing the 12 disciples, he went from there uh, to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. While John heard, uh, when John heard in where? Prison. Whoa, what Christ was doing. Listen to what he did. He sent his disciples, John's disciples, to ask him, Jesus, uh, listen to this question. Are, are, are you the one? He's speaking to, to Jesus. Are, are, he's the forerunner. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Whoa. Life wasn't turning out the way he thought it was going to be. Who would he begin to question? God. Wow. Even John the Baptist. So Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Watch Jesus encouraging him in. Get back to the word of God. Trust me. He's given John all the passages of giving you proof, biblical proof, that he is in fact the Messiah. You don't need to doubt. And then he backs it up with these words, Jesus speaking, blessed is the man, including John, who does not what? Fall away on account of me. And this is a mind-blowing passage, I think. John John the Baptist. 
right? You think, it, whoa. I mean, you think if anybody's going to stay solid, it's got to be him. But here we have a moment that the scripture gives us. John the Baptist is having a problem with the way things are turning out in his life. And, and again, we, we always just go with the flow and are always joyful about how everything, yeah, we're going to go to Medlin here real soon. And you put it in the context, and you can kind of understand it. I mean, here's John. He's coming off this fruitful ministry. I mean, what a privileged ministry. He's the chosen one, right, to be the forerunner, the one who's in the desert preparing the way of the Lord. He did exactly what God called him to do, and it's, whoo, and you're in prison. And if you know later, the rest of the story, his head got chopped off. Now, the problem was, what I see in this passage is that John assumed, listen, that Jesus would usher in his kingdom right then and there. In fact, you read throughout the Gospels, that's what much of the, uh, the Jewish people did. They thought, in the early church, they thought, oh, hey, when they're talking about, hey, when's your, when's your, even Matthew 24, right? When the disciples go to Jesus, when, when's your, what are the signs of your coming? They're talking about his second coming. When are you going to come and overthrow the Roman government? When are you going to come and rule and reign on earth the Davidic promises? John thought it was going to happen right then. He didn't see the church gap. So he assumed that Jesus was going to announce, and, 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 but he didn't. It didn't go anything at all like he expected. And because, listen, life was not meeting up to John's expectations, John, even John, began to doubt God's plan. And he sent his disciples to check things out. And if we're honest with ourselves, Bobby is the only one on the planet that ever does that. Sorry, Bobby, you're on the front. i got to use that. Yeah, whoa, right? We do the same thing, folks, in our relationship with Jesus. How many times do we also assume that we, here's the key word, we know what's best for us, right? We think that we know better than God. We think we know how our lives should turn out. We think it should go this way. We want it to go that way, but who do you think you are, God? Folks, God is God. We are not. We don't have the ability like God to govern the whole universe, let alone our own lives. Who do we think we are? Besides, God's got a much better way. It's called Trust him. Turn to somebody and say that. Trust God. Okay? And go to sleep. Okay? Not right now. I'm trying to finish my sermon. Okay? <laughs> trust God. Just trust him. He knows what he's doing. He's God. We are not, but it's okay. You don't have to be God. Just trust him. Trust him, John. Listen, I know you're in Trust him. You don't need to crack. You didn't need to send your disciples. Go back to the word of God. Trust him. He knows what he's doing, okay? And so that's our choice every single day. We can either trust God and trust him in the fact that he knows what's best for us. He certainly knows what in the world he's doing. Or we could give in to doubt and start demanding that life should go our way because it's not meeting our expectations. But I don't know if you guys learned this or not, but once we start demanding that life goes our way instead of God's way, then in fact, that's what we're doing. We're trying to play God. We think we know better than God. And guess what that does? It creates a few problems, doesn't it? Talk about just go over there and beat your head against the wall. You're not God. But it's okay. God is God. Trust him. He knows what he's doing. And so God sees us when we do this. Obviously, he's omniscient. Okay, he sees everything. So you know what he does? Because we keep doing this for some reason. I think it's the pressure of our society, right? Self, self, me, me. It's all about you. You decide. You. If it ain't going your right way, then make a big stink about it. But here's what goes on. So God, he intervenes. And you know what he does? You know how he fixes this problem? At least this is what I've noticed. <laughs> He's awesome. Out of mercy, out of love, out of incredible sovereign wisdom. Here's what he does. He orchestrates a few difficulties to come our way, and voila. Hey, we find out real fast through those difficulties, guess what? You're not God, <laughs> and you're not in control, are you? That's right. And, and hopefully over time, we start to realize that, you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe God 
does know what's best for us, and all I need to do is take a chill pill, trust him, and enjoy the day. Much better program, okay? And so we either doubt his love and care for us when life doesn't go our way, or you simply just trust him. Listen, listen, even when life makes no sense at all. Like this lady found a true story. This is one of my favorite illustrations of God's sovereign control. Years ago, there was this fishing fleet that went out from a small harbor on the east coast of Newfoundland. And in the afternoon, there came up this great storm. And when night had settled down, not a single vessel of all the fleet had found its way back into the port. And so all night long, true story, the wives, the mothers, the children there on land, the sweethearts, they're pacing up and down the beach there. They're, they're wringing their hands. They're calling on God to save their loved ones. And, and then to add to the horror of the whole situation, one of the cottages caught on fire. And since all the men were away in the ocean, it was impossible to save the home. And when morning broke, though, to the joy of all, the entire fleet had found safe harbor uh, in the bay. But there was one face, which was the picture of despair, and that was the wife of the man whose home had been totally destroyed. And so she goes up, she runs up, she meets her husband, she cried out to him, she says, oh, husband, we are ruined. Our home, all that it contained was destroyed by the fire. But the man exclaimed, listen, thank God for that fire. It was the light of our burning cottage that guided the whole fleet safely into port. How many times do we go through stuff like that? That lady found out with one statement. You know what? I got freaked out for nothing. Chrome translation. Right? God is God and I'm not. And he knows what he's doing. He's not just in control. He knows what he's doing. And he really does know what's best for not just me, but for everyone all the time. And this is the same choice that we make in all of our everyday trials. Every time you encounter something that doesn't go my way, your way, it's okay. It's God's way. He knows what he's doing. You trust him, enjoy the day, or you doubt him, in essence, question his goodness and his sovereignty and reap the benefit of that, which is not good. That's the choice we make, okay? And so if God has to use some hardships to come our way to teach us this powerful lesson, just knock it off, okay? Get off that crazy rat race cycle of it's all about you and you, and when it doesn't go your way, then you freak out, and it's just a knee-jerk reaction. Stop. Good times, bad times, high times, low times, it doesn't matter what times. God is in control at all times, and God knows what he's doing. Go to sleep again, not now. I need to finish my sermon. Right? Wonderful lesson. And it all came, why? Because God, on purpose, allowed a hardship. Man, he is awesome, okay? The fifth wise reason why God will allow some hard times to come is to get, this is a good one, is to make us more like Jesus. And I'm sure that none of us ever prayed that. Yeah, I hope we all have, but guess how it happens? We go to Walmart, we open this can of Jesus, and you, just, you dump it all over your head, and it works, it's awesome. No, it doesn't work that way, okay? It's called a process of maturity that the Bible talks about, and uh, we're going to take a look at that passage, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, and Apostle Paul talks about this, that listen, when we get saved, God's got a plan for us. And it's not to stay where we're at. It's a process of maturity. Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 13, it was he, God, Paul says to the church, he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Literally there, pastors, that is teachers. Meaning, if you're a pastor, you need to be a teacher, i.e. have the gift of teaching. It's not really, not to big, make a big detour, it's not really a five-fold ministry, it's a four-fold. But anyway, so that's what he's given. Why? Now, why did God go through all that trouble? Why did God give certain people with these gifts to the church? Why? Well, because somebody's got to get up there and make noise. That's what we do. 
No, believe it or not, there's a purpose. Right? It's to what? To prepare God's people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ turn to somebody and say, that's me. Not me, that's you, me. Okay. Uh, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become what? Mature, attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay. So the Bible clearly tells you and I that God didn't save us just to sit around. God didn't save us just so we can get our fire insurance and then sit around on our blessed assurance and do nothing until we get to heaven. If, if that's your uh, reading of the Christian Bible, that ain't the Christian Bible. Okay? He didn't save us for that. The Bible is clear. God plans for us to become mature. In other words, let me translate that for you. To be more like Jesus. That's all it is. I've said this so many times before. I don't care what kind of scripture knowledge somebody has. I don't care how long you've been saved. I've seen people who've been saved for one week who are more godly, more like Jesus than people who've been professing Christ for 20 years. I've seen people who could barely even quote the scripture, have a heart for the lost and the love for Jesus than people who've been saved for 30 years and could rip off verses. The goal of maturity, the acid test for maturity, all the maturity is not time. Do you resemble Jesus? Do you act like Jesus? Do you speak like Jesus? Do you behave? Do you react like Jesus? Okay? And that's what God says. That's what mature. To be a little bit more like Jesus. Hopefully a lot more before we even get to heaven. What a privilege. Okay? And hopefully again, that's what we're praying for. Okay? Now the problem that I've noticed, okay, with many of us as Christians, we make the mistake of thinking that becoming more like Christ before we get to heaven uh, is something that um, just comes naturally. Piece of cake. Right? Something that we can do completely on our own. Okay? But I don't know if you noticed or not. Let me translate that behavior for you it's called spiritual pride because because boil that down if you think hey i can i can live the christian life uh, i gotta pull my bone bootstraps i can be yeah then why in the world did jesus need to die on the cross if you could live like jesus naturally if it's all up to you it's all your own strength it's not nothing something supernatural then why do you go to the cross it's called spiritual pride if that's your attitude and folks you read the scripture spiritual pride is not only detestable to god it's a serious stumbling block in your walk with God. In fact, I don't have time to quote the scripture, James. James talks about God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the who? We'll get to this possibly later in another study, right? The, the Greek word that's used there, it, it, it's, a, it's a military term. When it talks, he resists the proud. If you're being proud, God actually resists you. Uh-uh. It literally means he's coming at you in full battle array. <sighs> Armed to the teeth against you. How many guys would say that's not a good thing to do on a Saturday or a Sunday or any day of the week? <laughs> you know, humble. God, I'm dependent. I'm humble. I need your grace to live like Jesus. I need him. Right? Now, that's how we should be, but unfortunately, spiritual pride gets in the way. So you know what God does? Man, maybe you're starting to see a pattern. Out of mercy, out of love, out of incredible sovereign wisdom, he orchestrates a few difficulties to come our way. And woo-hoo! We found out real fast, we ain't got this natural knack of living like the Savior. Are you kidding? We've got this great knack for sinning. It just pops right out all the time. Real easy, okay? And in fact, we learned real fast that the only way, listen, to be rid of our sinful behavior is listen from the purifying hand of God alone, which oftentimes, you know how he gets rid of the crud? He puts us through the crucible. He puts us through hard times. And this is exactly what Peter's talking about in this passage. Fantastic passage. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. In this you greatly rejoice that life is going your way because it's all about you and you never have difficulties. And of course, you've got to sing when you... No, wrong translation. Here's what you rejoice over, Christian. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer what? Grief in 
all kinds of, what? How can I rejoice in that? Because God's doing something fantastic in our hard times. And here's what he says. These have come, why? So that your faith, which is what? Money can't buy faith. Your faith, which is greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may prove to be genuine. So what's the ultimate benefit of having faith in Christ, in the work on the cross? You go to heaven, right? And when you go through hard times, you don't walk away from Christ. True Christians stick with Christ, right? That's what 1 John says. didn't say you lost your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. 1 John 2 says the reason why they went out from us is because they never belonged to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but they're going so that none of them ever belonged to us. And so trials often come to show, are you a real Christian or not? Didn't say you're going to handle it perfectly. Didn't say you're always going to come out on top, but you never leave Jesus. Now that's worth more than gold because ultimately you may have it tough here on earth. Where do you end up one day? Praise God, you go to heaven, right? But also that, it also results in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You followed me no matter what. And isn't that what we want to hear, okay? Now, for those of you who may not know, the smelting furnace, the, the so refined by fire there, uh, uh, Peter's using the, uh, an analogy of a smelting furnace. And we all know that that's one of those furnaces you go up to and you go, no, that's not, that's not a smelting furnace. I know, hey, hey, even the baby got it, praise God. That's a good sign. I need all the help I can get. Uh, but <laughs> anyway. And, uh, but uh, he's using a smelting furnace. It's a red-hot furnace that you use to put raw ore in, gold or something like that. And you'd heat it up, okay, uh, after it was mined. And after the gold or whatever the ore was was melted down, the impurities would rise to the top, okay? And then it would just not just rise to the top. Listen, they would skim the impurities off. That's how you got it out. You had to heat it up. The junk rose to the surface. You skimmed it off. And it was often repeated many times, okay? Now, listen to this. When the goldsmith saw his own reflection in the liquid, because when you first start, it's like you don't see a reflection. There's so much junk there. And you got to keep skimming, heat it, keep skimming, heat it, keep skimming. But when the goldsmith saw his reflection in the liquid gold, at that point, bang, I'm done. I got pure gold. That was the acid test, to see his reflection. Now, here's the point. The gold was not put into that smelting furnace, that fiery furnace, to destroy it. The gold was put into that furnace to purify it, to make it pure. And I hope you know where I'm going with this. That's what God is doing with us. He's not being a big meanie, okay? Kenneth Weiss, he's a great, uh, well, he's with the Lord now, uh, Greek scholar, he puts it this way. He says this concerning this passage. He says, Christian suffering, whether it be in the form of persecution because of a Christ-like life, or whether it comes to us in the form of trials and testings, which are a natural accompaniment of a Christ-like life, such as illness and sorrow, financial losses, it's going to, hey, heaven comes later. It's going to happen. Have we learned that one yet? This isn't heaven. He says, it's always used, though, by a God of love to refine our lives. It burns out the dross. It makes for humility. It purifies us and increases our faith, and it enriches our lives. And like the goldsmith of old, God keeps us in that smelting furnace until he can see the reflection, listen, of the Lord Jesus in our lives. God, listen, 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 this is awesome. God is not so much interested in how much work we do for him as he is in how much we resemble his son. Maturity. That's maturity. And so you, you can see, God, he's not being a big old meanie when he's allowing us to go through difficulties. He's using these difficulties, our everyday challenges, to get the crud in our hearts to come to the top so he can skim it off and replace it with the image of Christ. And hopefully that's what he's 
he's, we're realizing. Now, what's wild is sometimes, not only will he put you to the fiery crucible, God will send some catfish your way. Now, see, I got your attention now, Orson, don't I? Or Jeanette, one of the two, right? I'm using a fish analogy. No, no, God will send catfish. He'll send catfish our way to make sure this process happens. Chuck Swindoll, he shares this story. Listen, this is, this is a classic. He says, in the northeastern United States, codfish, okay, are a big commercial business, right? But the, the public demand posed a problem to the shippers. And at first they froze the cod, and then they shipped them elsewhere, but the freeze took away much of the flavor. So they experimented with shipping them alive in tanks of seawater. But that proved even worse. Not only was it more expensive, the cod still lost its flavor. In addition, then the texture became soft and mushy. It was seriously effective. Well, finally, true story, some creative person solved the problem in the most innovative manner. The codfish were placed in the tank of water, but right alongside with their natural enemy, the catfish. And from the time the cod left the East Coast until it arrived to the westernmost destination, those ornery catfish chased the codfish all over the tank. And you guessed it, when the cod arrived at the market, they were fresh as when they were first caught. There was no loss of flavor, nor was the texture affected. If anything, they were better than before. And listen to what he says. Each one of us Christian is in a tank of particular and inescapable circumstances. Hey, it's painful enough to stay in the tank, amen? Okay, but in addition to our situation, there are God-appointed catfish. Turn to somebody and say, thanks for being my catfish. Okay? Now, if you're married, that feels pretty good if you didn't get along on the way to church services, but I'm not here to condone that. <laughs> Look at your whiskers. No. <laughs> Men, don't say that to your wife. You'll be in trouble. <laughs> I digress. There's God-appointed catfish, right? Oh, boy. Let's just start all over. Each one of us in our tank in particular inescapable circumstances is painful enough to stay in the tank, but in a disenjoyed situation, there are God-appointed catfish to bring sufficient tension that, listen, Christian, spiritually, keeps us alive, alert, fresh, and growing. It's all part of God's project, listen, to shape our character so we will be more like his son. So he says this. Here's the challenge. So, Christian, understand why the catfish are in your tank. Understand they are part of God's method of producing character in your life and in mine. Thank God for the catfish. Amen? Okay? Folks, it's because God loves us, he allows us to have catfish. All right? Now, I agree, sometimes our problems get kind of ornery, but God's not being ornery with us. Yes, praise God. Anybody glad for this? God accepts us for who we are, where we are. But did you know he loves us so much, he's not going to leave us there. He is more concerned about our character than our overall comfort. And so out of love, God will do whatever he can. He'll send whatever catfish. He'll put us through whatever refining fire to make sure we get the best possible gift of all. You're looking, living, acting like Jesus because that's the best way. That's the narrow way that leads to life. It's that other road, the wide road, the broad road that leads to destruction. God's keeping us off of that, amen? Okay, he's giving us the best. All because he allowed a hardship to come for a wise, sovereign reason. One more, and then we'll continue on, Lord willing, next week. The sixth reason is to keep us from wasting our lives. Okay, and you need to pray for this lady. She's got a dog stuck to her neck. No, <laughs> but no, it's just the yellow materialistic thing. It's all about the things of this world. That's what we're supposed to live for, right? No, that's not what's going on here, okay? Now, this is just a quick verse, but hopefully this verse says it all. In fact, it's short enough that, dare I say, you could probably memorize it. 
which would be a good one. Why do we get out of bed every single day? What's the marching order? What am I supposed to do today? How am I supposed to please God? Here it is, one verse. Let's take a look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Okay, you can't get any more blunt from this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, how many of you guys would say that's everything? Thank you. You guys are discerning. Do it all for yourself because it's all about me, myself, and I. The unholy trinity, that's what we live for. No, why do we get out of bed? Why do we exist? Why does God still have us here? Every single day, what are we supposed to do? Do it all for the glory of God. Okay? Every single day, the Bible says, everything we do is all to be about God. Why? Because this knowledge shows us that we really love Him more than the things of this world, but it assures that, listen, Christian, our lives are not wasted for Him. And I'll never forget coming across this as a young Christian when I first got saved. I mean, hello, you guys know my testimony, my background. It was cool enough just being saved. Woo-hoo! And then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second, God, you could, after all I've done, you could still use me to do something for you? Wow. And if that still doesn't blow you away, something's wrong. Because this is icing on the cake. It's cool enough. Praise God, I'm not going to hell. But before I get to go to heaven... You could use me to do something for you? Whoa. The enemy cannot take away your salvation. Praise God. Amen. Scripture is very clear about that. But don't kid yourself, Christian, if you think that he doesn't have another plan. It's called plan B. Plan A was to try to keep you away from Christ so you would go to hell. Plan B is, oh, well, they're going to heaven. But you know what? There's this short little wisp vapor of time that they could be used of God to do something that stands for all eternity. And so I'm going to try to do anything and everything I can to get them to not live that verse. And if they live every single day all about me, me, my glory, myself, and I, me, 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 and is that not crammed into the church today? Then I will take away their time. I can't take away their salvation, but I'll take away their time that could be used to store up treasure in heaven, and I got them. That's what it's all about. It's spiritual warfare. When we glorify God, when we live for him, not us, we store up treasure in heaven. Listen, since heaven lasts forever, then so does our act of glorifying God. And we don't just get to do something by the spirit of God for God, for his glory, out of love for him. But our temporary lives here on earth, listen, become eternally significant. Isn't that mind-blowing that God would choose to use a wretch like us? Isn't that encouraging? Right In the scripture, God chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. God chooses the weak things uh, uh, to shame the strong. Turn to somebody and encourage them and say, hey, you weak fool. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I mean, we're all messed up, right? We got all these checkered, whacked out backgrounds. But God says, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to use you to show the world. The world says you're nothing. You're nobody. You can't make a difference. You just get out. God says, oh, yeah, watch this. Watch what I do with this rich. Watch what I do with this outcast. Watch what I do with this person. Their whole life, everybody says, you're nothing. Oh, yeah, watch this. And God gets the glory. And it stands, the scripture says, forever and ever. That makes you want to get out of bed. Right? But the enemy is there, folks. And he's trying to seduce us into tricking and wasting that time that this is the only time. You'll never get to witness in heaven. You don't get to store up treasure in heaven. That only happens here. That's how precious this time is. And the enemy knows this. So he seduces us to live for ourselves and the things of this world and get a dog attached to your neck like that apparently. And, and, and that's what society does. Okay? Now, and that's also why, because God loves us and he loves us enough to tell the truth. He also gives us very strong words. If you start to live like that, Christian, 
Mm-mm. He's got some strong words for that. Here's just one passage. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Stop! Don't do it! Stop living for this e- What kind of world? Evil world and all that it offers for you. For when you love the world, Christian, right? Oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. But if this is how you're living, God sees the heart. When you love this world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. In fact, James gets even more blunt with that. I think it's in chapter 4. He says, when you are a friend of this world, living for this world, it's all about this world, this world, that's all you think of, that's your mark. He says, you're an enemy of God. Now, why would God say that? Because, folks, this is our one shot to hopefully do something for him. He knows how precious this time, and he loves us. And he loves us enough to say, you're going down a bad route. You're being tricked. Yeah, praise God, you're going to heaven. But don't waste this precious vapor. What little time you got. Okay? And so God loves us enough to warn us. Okay? Because he knows, folks, that, listen, if you invest, and the enemy knows this too, he knows that if all you do is live for the things of this world, man, talk about the ultimate lesson in futility. Here's what's going to happen with everything that we do that's just about this world. Okay, take this encouraging uh, verse home with you today. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in which the what? The heavens pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be what? Burned up. That's the destiny of the earth. Ultimately, according to God, one day everything that we've ever done is going to be, for the earth, is going to be burned up. Burned up. That's it. Burn up. You can only take souls with you to heaven. You can only store treasure up in heaven. What did Job say? Naked I came in this world. Naked, you ain't taking it with you. It's going to be burned up. And how crazy it is. Think about this. How seductive this is to the enemy for a Christian to invest their whole life into something that the Bible clearly tells us one day is going to be burned up. It's crazy. Favorite illustration. I've shared this before. Listen to this. True story. Recently, this man spent many months uh, in, in summers in Maine. He was over there in Maine, and he was fascinated by his companions who told about their experiences of a little town in that area called Flagstaff, Maine, not Arizona. So the town, listen, was to be flooded as a part of a large lake for which the dam was being built. Didn't they do that here at Hoover Dam? They had a little city going down there, the workers what? But when they were done, what happened? They backfilled it, and it's all underwater. Very applicable. And because of this, because the town was going to be flooded, right? In months before it was to be flooded, all improvements and repairs on the whole town were stopped, right? Common sense. I mean, what was the use of painting a house if it was to be covered in water in six months, right? What a waste. Why repair anything when the whole town was going to be completely wiped out, right? So week by week, the whole town became more, listen, they became more and more focused on their new location and began to invest their lives into that. Why? Because they clearly understood it was a complete waste of time and money to secure their lives into that which was soon to be destroyed. Wow. Now, how many guys would say that those people in Maine made the right choice with their actions there, given their circumstances, Right? And then flip it around. Can you imagine how miserable they would have been if they kept pouring all their time, all their resources, all their efforts into their old homes when it was about to ready to be flooded? Can you imagine that guy? Weekly, hey, Bob, it's getting flooded. I don't care. I think I need a new paint job right there. Hey, I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to landscape my house. I'm going to do, <laughs> what, for the fish? <laughs> what are you doing? 
It's like, can you, what, can you imagine if a guy lived like that? What would you consider that person? With all due respect. Yeah, well, you know the word. Then why is it such a shocker that so many Christians are also miserable when all we do is live for this world and the things of this world and we invest all of our time into this world, all of our money, all of our resources, all of our time, it's all about this world, me, 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 world, 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 world. And the scripture says, don't you get it? Yeah, you got to take care of business. You got to put food on the table. You gotta, but listen, don't put your stakes in too deep. One day, the water's coming. In this case, the fire's coming. Why would you do that? What a waste. And that's what the enemy is up to. He's tricking us into wasting our lives. So guess what God does? He wants us to store up treasure in heaven. He wants our lives to become eternally significant in Christ. So he will allow some hardships to come our way, okay? And so guess what they do? Very quickly, we get steered into that which is more important in life. It starts to put a sour taste in our mouth for this world. Get it off. I'm tired of this world. I'm tired of the problems of this world. Anybody, anybody tired of that? Man, just when you fix one car repair, guess what happens? Here comes another one. Hey, you do paint your house. Guess what's going to happen if you live long enough? Got to paint it again, right? Hey, here's a weird thing. You buy food, guess what? You got to keep buying. More food. Buy more clothes. What? Well, they pay for. <laughs> I guess it works. But anyway, I was going to say clothes. You buy some more clothes. Well, what's going to happen? You gotta buy more. It just never stops. It's like, man, everything is falling apart. It's in a state of decay because this is not the world that we've been saved for. And how many times we got, and then we got the sin nature, and we got spiritual warfare, and, and all this junk. Are you tired of the politics yet? Are you tired of the new world order yet? Are you tired of the government? Are you tired of the wickedness yet? Then why would you live as if this is all there is? God will allow hardships to come to get you steered onto that which lasts forever. Because if you don't, Christian, one day you're going to wake up, and you ain't got much to show for your life here on earth. What's 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says? Oh, you'll make it there, but only as one escaping the flames. Ooh, smoke's coming off the back end. Wouldn't you rather, wouldn't you rather, that's what it says. Wouldn't you rather have something to lay at his feet? This is the time. This is the time to do that. Okay, God is not being a big old meanie when he allows hardships to come. He very well could be protecting us from the enemy. When these hard times come, he's protecting us from wasting our lives. And he's got to break through this barrier where we think that it's my time. It's about me. And get us to realize, no, it's about him. Whatever you do, it's all for the glory of him. And when you start living like that, Christian, there's so much opportunity to sort of treasure in heaven every single day. If you just have eyes to see, it's his time, not my time. Like this guy learned, watch this. Who's going with me to church? You go on ahead, honey. Me and the kids, we'll meet you there. In my own little world, it hardly ever rains. I've never gone hungry, always felt safe. I got some money in my pocket, shoes on my feet. In my own little world, population me. Try to stay awake till the Sunday morning church I throw a 20 in the plate but I never give till it hurts And I turn off the news when I don't like what I see Yeah, it's easy to do 
God doesn't care how much we do for him. He cares how much we resemble his son. And that's what his son Jesus would be doing. When all is said and done, everything on this earth will pass. Only that which we do for Jesus will last. These lives living for Jesus have the potentiality to do something that will stand for all eternity, become eternally significant. How, Pastor Billy? That's a big theological concept. How do we break it down? It's just like that. 
It happens with the everyday opportunities that God gives you every day when you get out of bed. But you've got to get out of bed and you've got to erase that big old I off your mirror. You've got to get rid of the me off your mirror. You've got to say, listen, it's not about my time. It's his time. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And then all of a sudden your eyes open up. And it's not by chance you keep going to that same gas station and it's that same person who's lonely. It's not by chance you work with the people you do who don't know Christ. Why do you think you're there as a Christian? It's not by chance that you got that antagonistic family member who thinks you're a wacko because you're a Christian. You're supposed to witness to him. If your eyes are open and it's not me time, my time, if it's his time, you step into the opportunity and by God's spirit, he uses you to do something eternally significant. Isn't that mind-blowing? And so if it takes hard times for us to finally get that biblical truth, isn't that the most fantastic thing that God could ever do for us? He's good. He's sovereign. And that's just some of the reasons why we can have good come from suffering. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. 
One more out of the Ten Commandments says you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. 
And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.